so one of the things I felt God would do um, is enlarge our tent because of what's going to happen. And uh, so I'm going to ask Heidi to come up and pray that we get ready to enlarge our tent. What that looks like, I'm not sure. I don't know whether it's a physical enlargement, a spiritual enlargement, a financial enlargement, or all three. But we need to prepare for what we are speaking, believing, and expecting. Yeah? Usually when people know they're going to have a second or third child, they usually move from a one-bedroom flat to a two-bedroom flat uh, and stuff like that. So physically, spiritually, financially, relationally, mentally, we have to prepare for what God is doing. Yeah? So I'll ask Heidi to read the scripture and then pray as she feels led. And then I'll come and teach. Okay, this is from Isaiah 54, verse 1 to 4. Sing, O barren woman, who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people, and will people the desolate cities. Can you read it again, Heidi? Hmm. Sing, O barren one, who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Mm. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the des desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. You will not be confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. So, Father, I remember how over these last 16 years you gave us this promise again and again mm. as a body. And now it is actually coming to fruition. Mm. Father, you compared us to a woman that never experienced childbirth, mm. just as you're saying it in these verses in Isaiah. Mm. You're reminding us again of what you spoke to us this week, mm. how you will draw young men and women from the north and the south and the west and the east, mm. from the ends of the earth, adding to those that are already here Hallelujah. so that our tents are not large enough to contain them. Yeah. Father, I ask you to help us to move quickly yes. in enlarging your tent, yeah. to be prepared to receive what you have promised. Yeah. We are rising up now Hallelujah. to lengthen our cords mm. and to putting in the stakes deeply enough in anticipation of the ones that are coming. Mm. They will thrive and flourish and mature to dispossess nations Please and don't. settle in desolate cities. You said, don't be afraid. Hallelujah. So we will step out in boldness. Yeah. We will not be in fear, but walking in your promise. Mm. Thank you that you have removed the shame and the reproach. Mm. 
and that we can rejoice in the many children that you're giving to us. We are full of joy and praise because you, our Heavenly Father, are with us. Mm. So come, Holy Spirit, move, Mm. Father, move, Holy Spirit, because your word is yes and amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Heidi. Praise God. Every prayer recorded in heaven, prayed in the will of God, shall be answered. Like Heidi was saying, this was a scripture that was given to us since 2006, 2009, 2016. Just keeps coming back, and I believe the time for its fruition, like she said, is now. Today, if you want a title for the topic, it's Shekinah, uh, pla- uh, and um, Shekinah, planting the gospel. Shekinah, planting the gospel, that's the title. But before we go down that road, always remember, guys, throughout history, revivals are holy, the Holy Spirit's way of awakening human hearts towards God, which are otherwise turning dull and are dying. So revivals throughout history are the Holy Spirit's way of, ab- of awakening human hearts. He does this himself. He does this because he knows that if he doesn't, then hearts will go so dull, so cold, They'll get stolen by the enemy of our souls. And so to avert what awaits, he just breaks through. And throughout history, he's done this at different times. We just happen to be in one of those times. Yeah? And during the process, like we said over the last many days, God makes his greatness and his nearness known. Pouring water on dry and thirsty ground. God makes his greatness and nearness known. Try uh, memorizing that line. That inner revival, God makes his greatness and his nearness known. And the first person that should know it is me and you, so that in our conveying what we need to convey, we don't forget that he does make his greatness and nearness known in times like this. Through you and sometimes despite you. And in the process, he pours water on thirsty, dry ground. 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 Our part then is to seed with wisdom the soil that he now softens and plows. Our part then is to seed with wisdom the soil that he plows and softens. He'll give us a seed, but we have to use it with wisdom so that the soil that he's now softening and plowing across the earth, across nations, across this city, will get the seed that he wants us to plant according to his wisdom. In Isaiah 28, we realize that there's wisdom in seeding Once we have seed in our hands, we need to use wisdom to seed it. If you go to the last few verses of Isaiah 28, there's this beautiful scripture there. And God will give us that wisdom, eh? Because he's in that kind of mood right now. Isaiah 28, verse 25 and 26 says, uh, No, uh, let's start at verse 23. Listen and hear my voice. Pay attention and hear what I say. When a farmer plows for planting, 
Does he plow continually? Does he keep on breaking up and harrowing the soil? When he has leveled the surface, does he not sow caraway and scatter cumin? Does he not plant wheat in its place, barley in its plot, and spelt in its field? His God instructs him and teaches him the right way. His God instructs him and teaches him the right way. And whenever there's a revival, and there is a revival here, God will begin to move men and women into places for divine encounters. That's another thing God does during a revival. He moves men and women into certain places so that they have divine encounters through his people or sovereignly through his direct intervention, one or the other. I had to walk in this awareness because my fear in situations like this, and it's a well-founded fear, is that when the meetings end, we think what God is doing has ended. Which is why in the house churches and in our conversations, we'll have to remind each other of what God is doing. And God will keep a record of it like it says in Haggai or Malachi. That God heard what they were saying and he wrote it down. We have to spend the next three, four, five weeks conversing about what God is doing on the earth. And in our midst because it would be a shame if we forgot it because there are no meetings in the evenings. God is not going to sustain a revival through meetings. It's a sovereign work of God sustained through his people. And if we keep in conversation for the next four to five weeks, it'll become natural for us. It'll be like the Canucks making the playoffs. You you then talk about it for the next many days. And then after they lose or win, you talk about that for the next few weeks. It's literally like that. It It becomes part of the conversation we are having. Like, this is what we need to do. Every year from, say, April to September, the only thing Torontonian, the guys in Toronto talk about is how the Maple Leafs lost to Boston again in the um, playoffs. That's all they talk about. Let's not go too far with that point. So because there's a revival here, men and women will be moved into place for divine encounters. And when they're moved into place for divine encounters, you need to be aware of something else too. You need to be aware of something stirring in their hearts that they are unable to define, but there is an awakening happening. There is an awakening happening. We don't realize it. The unfortunate part about most of us who have now been saved for more than three days is that we've forgotten that stirring in our heart, the awakening that we could not put a finger on, that we could not define, but that was there. There's someone at the door, but let it be. No, Evan, don't. Yeah, let it be. So, I want to read you a passage from the uh, Hebridist revival, just to um, emphasize this point. On one evening... A group of between two and three hundred persons pressed with this awareness of eternal realities journeyed to the police station in town. They had to find relief from the internal strain that they were experiencing and they knew that there was a policeman there who was a strong committed Christian. In our case it might be an environmental engineer or an energy engineer or an electrician or a professor at Langara or a nurse at BGH or a pianist 
near boundary. It, 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 people will suddenly realize that they have to find relief from the internal strain that they were experiencing. And they knew that there was a policeman who was a strong, committed Christian. And so pressed with this awareness of something that was happening within them, they journeyed to the police station in town. Duncan Campbell was informed of this gathering and proceeded there himself. On the way, he continued to witness unusual scenes. One of the scenes was that of four men praying by the roadside, overwhelmed with a sense of their need for God. Arriving at the police station, Campbell could hear people crying to God for mercy. One man in the crowd, seeing his wretched condition, repeatedly exclaimed, Hell is too good for me. Hell is too good for me. Another man was seen on his knees with his mother crying out beside him, Willie, are you coming home at last? Willie, are you coming at last? Campbell stood in awe at such scenes of deep conviction. People not only gathered in churches and at the police station, but on one occasion a crowd of seekers was found waiting in a field. Campbell went to them and was moved to see two teenage girls who had recently been converted, counseling a deeply distressed older man who was crying out to God in prayer. The man happened to be the school headmaster, and the girls were encouraging him to persevere in his seeking for God. One of them could be heard saying to the schoolmaster, the Jesus that saved us last night can save you now. And so these were different scenes in just a day where things were beginning to happen. Guys, this is a sovereign move of God. Because we have not experienced it, we do not expect it. But unfortunately, faith does not work based on whether you have experienced it or not. Faith is based on an expectation that this is what God will do. And as you begin to step into that expectation, you experience what you're supposed to experience. And then you pass it down to the next generation. And the next generation cannot embrace it and hold on to that as the only way it will happen. But you must expect it. And I'll do my best to remind us every day that there are divine encounters waiting to happen. So, with regard to what we want to talk about today, um, here's a question that someone asked me and that I'm um, conveying to you. If you were the last Christian on the earth and the final command you received was plant a church, would Christianity die with you or would it thrive and how would you go about it? If you were the last Christian on earth and the final command you received was plant a church, would Christianity die with you or would it thrive? How would you go about it? Here's a catch with this question. If you're the last Christian on earth, you can't go get a few more Christians to start a church. You can't go tell some other believers that, listen, I'm starting a church. Um, our music team is better. Or our preacher is Crackerjack. Come and Crackerjack is such an old world word. Huh? I don't think anyone uses it anymore. <laughs> Sorry. Our preacher is Jacob. How about that? That's modern. Um, <laughs> so you can't do that because you're the last Christian on earth. And yet there are thousands of people left on earth. So if you were the last Christian on the earth, and the final command you received was plant a church, would Christianity die with you or would it thrive? How would you go about it? 
our present kairos, as in the present time we are in, our present kairos demands that the way we go about it, that the way we go about it, that the way we go about it, the way we enlarge our tents and fill in the tents with um, sons and daughters from all over, the way we go about it is by planting the gospel. And if we do, we will harvest churches. And if we do, we will, if we do, if we do, we will harvest churches. The present kairos we are in demands this. It demands it. It demands it. So if you were the last Christian on earth, and the final command you received was plant a church, would Christianity die with you or would it thrive? How would you go about it? Our present Kairos demands that we go about it by planting the gospel. We cannot go about it the way we've been going about it because all we'll do is add to our numbers those that are already believers. We cannot do that anymore. Our present Kairos demands that the way we go about it is by planting the gospel so that we may harvest churches. Because this is what you would have to do if you were the last Christian on earth. I want to be like this. Guys, the thing with sovereign moves of God is you can't amend it. You can only contaminate it if you don't do it right. If you amend it, you contaminate it. And it happens in every revival, eh? Because either something is really difficult to do or because something is really wonderful or something is in greater demand, we go down that route instead of staying on the straight and narrow of the Spirit of God. We have to be like that cloud in Job chapter 37 where God loads up the clouds with water and then he makes them go through their paces. Sometimes this way, sometimes that to deliver upon the earth extravagant love, discipline, correction, whatever is required. We cannot amend this. And so I say to Acts 29, and then I take off the label of Acts 29, and I say, church, wherever you're listening to this, if we want to be continuous participants in what God is going to be doing on the earth for the next two or three years, this is our only choice. For us to go back to the way we were building would be building out of time, would be building according to a pro preceding word and not according to a proceeding word. House church leaders, house church assistant leaders, pay attention. Thus far it was okay to gather towards us believers who wanted more. And I'm not saying we don't do that anymore, but the emphasis must shift to this. This is now the focus. The other thing becomes peripheral. This becomes central. So blessed are you if you've just started a house church because you don't have the baggage that the others have.
And so when we talk about planting the gospel, I think we need to just define the gospel again. Because if people are being awakened out of their slumber, which is what happens, if, uh, like the incidents I mentioned in uh, the article I read from the island of Lewis, there were people by the side of the road, and um, I love what those girls said to their schoolmaster, the Jesus that saved us last night can save you now. The cop at the police station where 300 gathered, can you imagine 300 people marching to uh, Derek's workplace? I mean, he loses his job, but he saves 300. The mother saying, Willie, you're coming home at last. These stories did not happen in two days. It happened over a period of five to six to seven months. When they were happening, people probably thought, maybe this is a um, one-off incident. It is in hindsight that you realize, oh, shucks, look at what happened. Collect stories, guys. I'm already collecting stories of what God is doing. The advantage of being the pastor is people text you telling what's happening in their lives, and I'm chronicling them. Things that are happening while some of these live streams are being watched. People being freed. Manifestations happening. So, Planting the gospel. So let's just talk about the gospel. The gospel simply means good news. So let's not complicate it with Greek or Hebrew. Let's just go with good news. And this good news was announced, celebrated, and lived. Good news was announced, celebrated, lived. So it was not just announcement. I mean, if you have a baby, you announce it, you celebrate it, and then you live it because now you don't have a choice. The baby's arrived. And it's a joyful living, of course. Um, but good news is always announced, celebrated, and lived. So at its heart, the gospel simply means good news, and it was announced, then celebrated, or lived. And so... There are three distinct usages uh, of the gospel in the Bible, uh, three distinct ways of uh, usage, three distinct usages. So the first one was gospels as in the biography of Jesus written by the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And by the way, Sue, Mark was written by Mark in case you have that question right now. So Gospels were the four biographical accounts of Jesus' life written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So that's one way to talk about it. Second, when Jesus was on earth, when Jesus was on earth, um, both John the Baptist and Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. They preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. 
the gospel of the kingdom of God. So you often hear, even today, this argument about, oh, are we preaching the gospel of the kingdom or the gospel of grace? Or the, go- uh, the gospel of the kingdom was simply this. It was this moment in history where the long-awaited Messiah broke through time and space and arrived in Jesus. That was the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. That they had been waiting for ages for this Messiah to come. The long-awaited Messiah now had arrived on earth. He had broken into history. He had arrived on earth and with his arrival, the rule of God was here. That was the good news of the kingdom of God. So that's the second usage. But those are not what we are concerned with. We're just going to look at the good news that Paul begins to talk about. I know we know this. I'm just putting it together in a capsule so that we can swallow it easily. So by the time Paul wrote his letters, it became the gospel of Jesus Christ. It became the good news of Jesus Christ. It became the good news of Jesus Christ. And what would fall into the good news of Jesus Christ? It would be his origin, his life, teachings, interactions with people. I love his interactions with people. Gives you such an insight into God's nature. Interactions, uh, crucifixion, uh, his uh, healings and miracles. And then crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, and the final one is his sending of the Spirit. This then became the good news of Jesus Christ. And how can you exclude any of this? His origin was critical. His life, ah, I still, I mean, who tires of reaching, reading the Gospels? Who tires of reading the Gospels? Nobody. You've read it so many times. How many Christmases have some of you been through? How many times have you heard the birth of Jesus? Why is it that your heart is still grabbed by it? Who tires of it? His origins, his teaching, his life, his teachings, brilliant. Still can't wrap our heads around the Beatitudes, leave alone the rest of it. His interaction with people, be it Levi, be it Zacchaeus, be it the prostitute, be it the tax collector, be it Peter, be it Nicodemus, brilliant interactions, each so different, each so specific and personalized. Learn from this, guys. The good news teaches us how to interact with people. We need this in times of revival. It is still the same Jesus flowing through his body into the lives of people and the same response it's to be expected. Same Jesus, unchanging one. When we say unchanging one, we think he was 
king of kings before he is a king of kings now and he'll be king of kings forever true but the unchanging one is also that what i was when i was here on earth is the same i was that is now presently operating through you and will be tomorrow when you step out further there is that unchangingness about him his healings and miracles revivals must expect healings and miracles i was praying that to the lord saying uh, uh, dry ground one of the things i wrote down in terms of dry ground is father what i have seen in terms of healings and miracles on a large scale is very limited not satisfied it is an area that is dry in my life pour water on it his crucifixion his resurrection his ascension and the sending of the spirit and that then becomes the heart of the proclamation um that the good news of Jesus Christ is about because that alone saves so all this gives us an insight into why it is good news but at the end of the day if there is a heart to the gospel of Christ it is this and guys write this down so that you don't forget this in your interactions through the death resurrection through the death resurrection of jesus through the death and resurrection of jesus there is a forgiveness of sin forgiveness of sin b friendship with god friendship with god see entry into eternal life and there's a bit more and I'll add it after we just go over this the good news of jesus christ that must be conveyed that must be proclaimed in our interactions either initially or eventually is that through the death and resurrection of Jesus there is the forgiveness of sin there is friendship with God and there is entry into eternal life this cannot be diluted this cannot be diminished this must come through uh, um Heidi and I were meeting with someone who came from marital counseling not a believer and even though Uh, the, what we were saying to the person had nothing to do with um um this part we had to bring in this part and i i was explaining to her that this is important if you want your marriage to succeed I was not a believer but you can't have anything succeed without this because even if you succeed what's the point and in a revival guys please this is critical the second part of this is all these three things forgiveness of sin friendship with god and entry into eternal life is for any sinner who repents and trusts god unfortunately even this cannot be amended 
If we are passionate Christians, we can go this far. But if we are obedient Christians, we have to go here. These things are available for those who will repent of their sins and trust in him. If you go to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul never skirted this. Paul never skirted this. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 to 4. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of the first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day according to scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to twelve. So here again he's saying, listen guys, you can't amend this. What I received I passed on to you as of first importance. As in, guys, you cannot dilute, diminish, amend this. You cannot skirt around it. That Christ died for us since according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. That is the good news. Anything else that um, is done to change this is no longer good news. It is news. It is even pleasing to the ears. It is acceptable, but it does not save. So tell your stories. Tell your stories. God, I mean, one of the coolest things about Jesus was most everything he conveyed, he conveyed through stories. Tell your stories. But sometimes what happens with us as believers uh, is that in our telling of stories, we witness, but we don't necessarily go to the heart of the gospel. Go beyond witnessing about what Jesus did for you to the heart of the gospel. That is what I find myself skirting around. I'll tell them what Jesus did for me, how Jesus benefits me. But I must lead or I must go on to who Jesus is from what he did for me. And if I don't, people cannot be saved. Tell your stories, but go beyond witnessing about what Jesus did for you to who Jesus is. And to tell people who Jesus is, We'll have to go here because if you don't go there, then uh, people cannot be saved. I wish I could say any questions and then you could ask questions. So please tell your stories. It's one of the coolest ways to convey any truth. And we learn it from our master, Jesus. So don't avoid stories, but after you say, tell your story, take them from how you benefited and what Jesus did for you to who Jesus is. And then as you present who Jesus is, that is when people get saved. And at a time like this, Jesus put it this way to, I think, Nicodemus. Maybe to Nicodemus. You look at the clouds and you know it is raining. Why don't you know the times? Or maybe he said it to the Pharisees. The point being, hey, church, look at the, look at, look at the sky. You know there are clouds and so you know it's going to rain. 
Well then, why don't you know that there's a sovereign move of God upon the earth right now, Jacob? There's a revival at hand. I'm plowing up ground, I'm pouring water on thirsty land. Go sow seed with wisdom. Tell your stories. Tell them, I'm setting up people, bringing them into places where they might have divine encounters. Some directly, sovereignly through me, some through you. But as they come into your presence, you cannot now step back from who my son is because that alone saves. And that is how young men and young women who thus far may have been entertained by Jesus will know who Jesus is. Romans 1, 16 to 17 says that we are not ashamed of the gospel and I really believe that for all of us, that none of us are ashamed of the gospel. None of us are ashamed of the gospel. But we, aren't, we are not ashamed of the gospel. We are not ashamed of the gospel. We are not ashamed of the gospel. But we are not but we are not persuaded. We are not persuaded that it is sophisticated enough for the young men and women of today. That is way too simple or way too unreasonable or way too foolish that there has to be some kind of an apologetics behind it, that there must be a way to explain it. Go ahead, Don. Say that again. Yeah. What is the way we can convey the worth of achieving eternal life with God? I would say the uh, focus or emphasis should be on achieving uh, relationship with him who is of unsurpassing worth. Eternal life just happens to be something that comes with it. So rather than focus on eternal life, we focus on the eternal one who is of unsurpassing worth. That we pursue him not because... He's a purpose giver. Not because he'll give me uh, healing. Not because he's a healer. Not because he's a history maker. Not because he's a sin remover. Not because he's a comforter. We pursue him. And, uh, and tomorrow when um, God begins to tell us who he wants us to present him as, you'll realize that the one thing he's looking for in young men and young women is pursue me not for any other reason, not because I'll give you purpose, not because I'll give you a destiny, not because I'll make you a history maker, not because I'll take away your sin, not because I will make your life prosperous. Pursue me because I am simply so worth it because I'm of unsurpassing worth. There is a purity he's going to bring upon the earth, amongst young men and young women, where their only reason to pursue him is, you have the words of eternal life, where can we go? That is how this revival is different. That we get eternal life is important, because 
if we don't present that, we also are not able to say that there is another place that you go to if you do not receive eternal life. But it is the one of eternal worth, unsurpassing worth, as Paul says, I think, in Colossians, that we are focusing on. There is no soft pitching in this. It's just very simple. There's no costuming the cross in this revival. So, even though we're not ashamed of the gospel, we are not persuaded that it is sophisticated enough for today's young man or today's young woman. And that is why we then um, try skirting around the issue because we think we might lose them if we tell them uh, how foolish and simple it is. <laughs> and it's not a new struggle, guys. It's a very, very old struggle. Paul said that, listen, in 1 Corinthians 1.23, he said, I know this. I know that uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18-23, to 23, he talks about, I realize, guys, that to the Jews, this is a stumbling block. And to the rest of the people, when he says Greeks, he meant everybody else. To the rest of the people, it's foolish. The message of the cross is very hard for Jews to look at. And it is absolute foolishness to the rest of the world. He struggled with it 2,020 years ago, and we are still struggling with it. Because we don't think it's sophisticated enough. In a world where there's apologetics and there is presentations and there's dramatic ways of doing things and there's smoke and there's light and there are moving stories and celebrity stories and all of these things that we use as bait and hook to draw people in, sometimes what just gets lost in the whole thing is <laughs> Jesus Christ died for you and then rose again. And if you, as a sinner, repent and trust in that, you will have your sins forgiven. You will become friends with God and you will gain eternal life. My God, that sounds so not sophisticated. And so what I want to do right now, before we go further, is nail sophistication to the cross. Let us nail sophistication to the cross. 1 Corinthians 1.23, what does it say? 1 Corinthians 1.23. This is something Chad spoke on December 31st. He said, oh God, as your glory comes to disrupt, oh God, we no longer want to be Christians that are cool. Today we end cool Christianity. Because it's been highly unsuccessful. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.23 Starting at verse 20. Where is the wise man? Ah, starting at verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. My God, man. How we try to be intelligent. To convey a truth. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Jesus. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. You want us to use our intelligence. 
But to depend on it would be so countercrossish. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Go ahead, Don. How do we convey the How do we how do we convey the connection between need to pursue and summon of worth? Uh, the only way to convey it is to show it through our lives. That I'm in pursuit of someone of infinite worth. I want to present him to you. And uh, I can show you how to both pursue and why he is worth pursuing. Because we are talking about an invisible, inaudible person. And the only way we can convey it is through the word becoming flesh. We have to do what Jesus did. He came to the earth to show the Father. He came to reveal what it is when man is in relationship with God. He came to do what Adam lost. We have to do the same. Christ has to be pinched, touched. His uh, nail-scarred hands have to have people put their fingers in it and you are now that body. And you will either be rejected, received, or stoned. But to those that are perishing, the cross is anathema. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. And thank God we are not in that group that thinks, okay, since only a few are being saved, why bother? No, we do not know. We leave that with God. Where is the wise man? Verse 20. Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached. God was pleased. They remember this. Every time we return to the simple message of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God is pleased. Sometimes that is reason enough. If that is what comes to my mind, I will choose it every time than looking cool or sophisticated or intelligent or wise. God is pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe because that's the only way people get saved. Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Guys, we must remember who's writing this. Paul, a brilliant guy. Talk about intelligent. Talk about the ability to take the word and um, tie your shoes in a knot. The, the point being, guys, that here is a guy who was brilliant. He could have used every argument. He occasionally did. So let us nail sophistication to the cross. Let's pray against the fear of being uncool fools. Let us pray against the fear of being uncool fools. So let's pray now. Jesus.
We want to transact things with you. We don't want to think about this message later on. We want to do it now. We want to lose the fear of being uncool and foolish. I want to lose the fear today for the rest of my life of being uncool and foolish. It pleases you and it saves people. That is enough. So today I nail all forms of coolness, all forms of sophistication, all forms of being a Christian in the know, a Christian who is cool and worldly and yet has an in with God. I despise it, I spit on it. I say with Paul that I count it as dog dung. Forgive me, Lord. If there are people who have religious education, we lay it down. If there are people that are more intelligent than others and it's been proven, we lay it down. If there are people with great oratorial skills, we lay it down. If there are people that have risen in life and have uh, a reputation amongst people as a good, savvy Christian, we lay it down. If there are people that think of us as man, he's a Christian, but boy, uh, you should see him. He, he's, he just knows how to walk both. We lay it down. Today, oh God, uh, we go and say with Paul, that we despise it and we look at it as dog dung. We are actually going to look at that scripture from message because dog dung sounds horrible. But that is what I am going to consider sophistication and cool Christianity from now on. It ain't for me. So we're going to go to that message version. It's in Philippians 3.8. Philippians 3.8, reading from the message. I'm going to change the verse so it applies to me, and you can change it according to your preference. The very, the very credentials that I have been waving around as something special very credentials that I have been waving around as something special. I'm tearing up and throwing it out with the trash along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. One of them being sophisticated or being a cool Christian, no longer. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant, dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I may embrace Christ and be embraced by him.
So Father, today, and for years on end, as people listen to this teaching, may we hear the sound of hammer on nail as sophistication is nailed to the cross and people return to the foolishness of Christ hung on a cross and Christ risen from the dead, which alone is the power of God unto salvation. So guys, this foolish grace that we will begin to preach will produce a wave of awakened inquirers, of converted sinners, of spiritually renewed believers. This foolish grace that we will begin to preach, that we will speak into divine encounters, that we will weave into our stories, is going to now across the earth raise a group of awakened inquirers who we can then lead, of solidly converted sinners and of renewed believers. Before we end, I want us to recount our salvation. I want us to take time to recount our salvation. That despite your intellect, despite your sophistry, despite your sin-soaked pleasure, how come you turned to him? How come you turned to him? How come it worked for you? Or why is it that we are not convinced that it will work for others? So just take a moment. Think of how you got saved. I'm actually saying take two, three minutes to think of it. Just ponder on it. Think of the books you used to read, the ideology you had. The sin-soaked pleasure that you thoroughly enjoyed, that you didn't want to move away from think of the callous self-centered existence that you lived or think of the good life you had a good religious life where there was no need for anything more because you were so much better than most people. Think how intellectually, intellectually sound you were. use an old phrase but the hound of heaven was pursuing you wouldn't let go didn't matter where you went you would hear a song you would hear an annoying preacher preach about salvation You would remember that there is a God, but not today. You did that a thousand times, but he would turn up again. There were times when the rug was pulled from underneath you and you would turn to him 
begging him for mercy and he would do what you asked to and then you would turn your back on him. And the next morning he'd be there again. Some of us worshipped idols, false gods, ancestral gods. Some of us couldn't stand the gods of our mums and dads and the religious rituals, be it Christianity or other religions. But there he was again. And then one day something happens and your heart turns. And you don't fully understand it. But something happens. And you know, even though you don't know, you know that he died for you. And that he likes you. And you call out to him. I don't know how it will work, but you ask him to forgive your sins. And as you say that, you somehow know something is changing. And you give him your life and you invite him into your life and sometimes with tears, sometimes with absolutely no emotions. You get up and that's it. The rest of your life changes for all eternity. And we worship you, Jesus, for what you've done. We worship you. If I were to write the stories before people got born again, if I were to take the stories of each person listening, it would be fascinating. We worship you, Jesus. If you could do it with my life, surely you can do it with the lives of someone else caught up in drugs. Why is it that I think you can't? We worship you, Jesus. Father, we want to recover the joy and the freshness of salvation before we leave this place. The joy and the freshness of salvation we want to go back to the story that you wrote that day for some of us three months ago, for some of us 20, 30, 40 years ago. And we want to, just with hearts brimming with joy, say, oh God, you saved me. 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 Want to stand next to the schoolmaster who's weeping. Want to stand next to... 200, 300 at the police station crying out the same that we cry out now. Oh God, you saved me. Amazing grace, oh God, how we've forgotten. How we've forgotten, oh God. How sweet the sound that saved.
saved a wretch like me. That day is present before you as freshest today, O oh God. And the angels sang and celebrated. And you rejoiced at the return of a son and a daughter. How many more, Father? How many more to come in? How many more? Father, help, me, help us to recover the freshness and the joy of salvation. As it says in Isaiah 12, that Dawn will put up on the screen. Isaiah 12, it says, I will draw out of the wells of salvation, buckets full, and now pour it out. I will tell of what God has done. I will boast of his reputation. I will sing songs about what he has done. Jesus, it was your death and your resurrection that saved me. It was the forgiveness of my sins and my friendship with God that sustains me. Surely, my mouth will be full of this as we go forward. So Father, as we sing this simple song that says, my chains are gone, I've been set free, and then we go into amazing grace. I just pray that one of the things you do in our midst, Holy Spirit, is to help us recover the freshness and the joy of salvation. The freshness and this joy of salvation. Isaiah 12, three to six from the message says, joyfully now we will pull up buckets of water from the wells of salvation. And as you do, Jacob, you'll say, give thanks to God, call out his name, ask him anything, shout to the nations, tell them what he's done, spread the news of his great reputation, sing praises to God. He's done it all, let the whole know, earth know what he's done. Raise the roof, sing your hearts, hearts out, O Zion, the greatest lives among you, the holy of Israel. Father, this is what we want to do. We just don't want to tell our stories, we want to tell your story. It has benefited our lives, but we want to tell your story. We go from the benefits in our life to who you are. That is what your reputation is about. That is the good news. Thank you for reminding me that you saved me. I'm eternally grateful, will be eternally grateful. So now come Holy Spirit, do only what you can do. Do what my words can never do. Bring back to us the joy and the freshness of our salvation. Help us recover our first love so we can sing and talk about it in Jesus' name. Amen.
God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. And like a flood, His mercy I want to share a very quick story that happened yesterday and then we'll pray and close. So the last Pavan and I, we were, we've been talking about uh, God sending us out for encounters. And so just yesterday, we were driving in Wally and um, during the drive, Pavan says, God just told me that there is a man who is wearing a red jacket and he has a cart with him. We need to meet him. So we said, Father, if this is what you want us to do today, we are in for it. Two minutes driving through Wally, and we see this man. And uh, we step out. We start talking with three young men. And this guy that we were talking with, the guy with the red jacket, he was 24 years old. And initially, for the first three to four minutes, I can't even begin to explain to you how difficult he was. Because he just... That it was a, there were spiritual elements to it too. But then God asked us to pray. We prayed. Just like a mountain melts, things began to change. And he was open to us, Pavan particularly, Pavan talking about Christ to him. And Pavan said, I used to be someone who dealt with drugs. I know you are in it. And he said, yes. And he heard about Jesus, he was open to us praying for his mom, for him, and things changed so quickly in a span of three to four minutes as we prayed to God. Lives being touched because God, is, God has already started doing this. He has already started doing this. So I just shared that story only because he is so active. He has so many lives he wants to touch through all of you listening to this, all of us under this roof. And this is happening right now. So let's pray in line with what, we, what we've been hearing today. Let's, let's surrender to God for that which he has for us. And let's lay aside everything that stands in the way because God wants to use us, simple people like us, to influence and change the world. So Father, we come to you. I just thank you, Abba, because of your grand plan for the world. But this is for the world, for nations, continents. You're changing lives, Abba. And you, for some reason, you're saying, all of us here, all of us listening to this, all of us under this roof, you're saying, I want, I want you to start running with this. So Father, as a body, we come together and we lay aside all sophistication. We lay aside all sophistication, Abba. We want your simpleness. Jesus, you were so simple, you hung out with fishermen who no one wanted to hang out with. Jesus, your simplicity exposed the foolishness of the world. So I want simplicity, Father. We want simplicity. Father, as Jacob reminded us today, 
yeah we are not ashamed of the gospel but many time we don't believe in the power of the gospel for i am not ashamed of the gospel but then it says it is the power of god unto salvation and so father as a body we recognize that your gospel your story your redemptive work your birth your life your death your resurrection that is what we will proclaim that is what we will shout out to the world it is your story your redemptive work it is what saved us it is what changed our lives it is what is changing our lives today it is what saved pawan it is what saved many of us here abba all of us here abba it is what saved us and so i will not be ashamed we will not be ashamed of the gospel but we will also believe in the power of the gospel so abba you're saying that there are new births happening you're saying that there are new births happening right now so church let's pray into that right now this is just beginning there is a wave after wave after wave of god's redemptive work god's new birth occurring across the face of the planet and so father you're showing new births and we say yes we welcome you in we welcome you in from the north from the south from the east from the west people who are in your homes look to the surrounding areas look speak in speak life into those areas speak into the lives that are going to be new, born again right now speak to the lives that are going to be changed for eternity over the next few days do it right now because god is saying there are new births father i believe that even right now in this area there are new births happening because of the power of the holy spirit because god you are saying i will give them dreams i will give them visions i will visit them i will speak to them and then we will go out to abba with your with your story with your gospel we thank you we are we are just waiting for more of you abba more of you we 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 just getting started we we know we thank you amen